Hi, I'm Tom Colicchio, the host of Citizen Chef, the new podcast on iHeartRadio. In each episode, I'll take a look at the ways in which the news of the day ends up on our plates. Explore politics of food with me. Listen to Citizen Chef on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis. Author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience, talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. On W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Good evening, America. Good morning, Australia. You're listening to Radio Tony Spotlight on the Authors, and I'm your host, Tony Lontis. Now, we have our amazing guest, Jay Tyson, online already, but before I introduce you to him, just a reminder that Radio Tony has its own website, and you can jump on there and see all the guests that are coming up, all the information about them, and links to any of their products, books, services, etc. So today's author's links to his books are already up there, and just a reminder too that Radio Tony has its own Facebook page, and I'd love you to jump on and friend the Facebook page. You can interact with me there or on the website or live on the show. Um, I'm wondering how you're all going. The world is in various states of opening up after the whole coronavirus thing, and I like to check in with you every week and see that you're doing okay. I know that I'm starting to increasingly get busier and busier and busier. Lots of inquiries about being on the show from lots of wonderful authors all over the world. And today's particular author, Jay Tyson, grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and graduated from Princeton University with a degree in civil engineering in 1976. He and his wife spent several years in Liberia, where Jay worked on road construction projects. He also spent seven years in Haifi, Israel, which I want to ask him about later, where he assisted with the historic restoration at the Bahi World Centre. They returned to New Jersey in 1989 where they raised two daughters and Jay continued his career in civil engineering. Jay was raised in a Presbyterian household and is apt from an early age uh, to deeply ponder spiritual matters. His books on religion uh, sorry, he became a member of the Bahi faith in the 1970s and has long observed today's regime of reading scriptures or books on religion or religious history. His books, Wise Men from the West, A Search for the Promised One in the Latter Days, 
uh, is his first novel and reflects his commitment to studying religion, history and geography. His years in the Holy Land also gave him the opportunity to travel to many of the locations in which the first half of the story is set. So the book uh, comes from a historic perspective and it was set in America in 1844, where religious leaders expected Christ's return was imminent. Not only were the signs in the heavens, but the prophecies, and some general, but some were general and some were very specific, all pointed to that year, 1844. Hundreds of thousands of lay people looked to the skies in joyous anticipation. Clearly, their expectations were not fulfilled, but were the prophecies wrong or were they simply misunderstood? Uh, the wise men of the East uh, sets off to find answers in the Holy Land. Joining forces with British scholar James Larison, they take up their quest only to discover that the question is far larger than anything that they imagined the success of their search will be will have profound implications for all of them not them just them but humanity as the modern age unfolds so this morning since jay is already online i'd like to welcome to our radio tony spotlight on the authors mr jay tyson good morning or good evening rather for you james Thank you very much. It's good to hear from you, Tony. Now, do you prefer me to call you James or Jay? So I use Jay as a nickname and as an uh -huh. author's name. So, yeah, Jay is fine. Jay is fine. How are you doing over there in the States? Uh, well, we're doing all right. Of course, um, I live in New Jersey, which is yes. a state that's been affected by the coronavirus, but uh, it seems to be declining uh, pretty steadily. Mm -hmm. So I'm very pleased to see that the decline uh, has, has been continuing. Uh, hopefully it'll decline to zero before too much longer. And you and your family have been safe? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've been okay. Um, a couple of times that uh, you know, the uh, wife or, or daughter have uh, had some some problems uh, that caused them a little bit of a scare, but they went for a test yeah. and the test came back negative. So that's uh -huh. all good. And in terms of the some of the rioting and protests we've seen uh, in the US here in Australia, ha has that impact on you at all, Jay? Uh, no, no direct impact. Uh, most of the towns in New Jersey have been uh, pretty quiet. Some of the police forces have been uh, admirably supportive of the protesters. So uh, I was pleased to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today's show is all about your book, The Wise Men of the West. So what led you to the title of your book? Well, of course, uh, it's a reference to the Christmas story of yes. the wise men of the East. Yes. Um, they were uh, known as the Magi. Uh, uh -huh. upper, they were the upper religious class in Persia. Yes. And they traveled from the East. They traveled westward to find the one who had been promised in their religion. They were Zoroastrian. Yes. Uh, and there were prophecies from uh, Zoroaster a thousand mm -hmm. years earlier 
that had predicted that another messenger would come at about that time. Yeah. So they followed the prophecies, and uh, we all know from the Christmas story yes. that they arrived uh, just in time and uh, found the, the Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that every every year at Christmas. A lot of people don't think about the the background of that story, mm-hmm. but uh, it does definitely make it clear that um, uh, Zoroaster uh, was a prophet who was able to uh, give us an accurate uh, prophecy. Uh, so- just a quick question, um, Jay. You're, you've done a lot of um, reading and research into religious history. And so I'm curious as to how this relates in the history books versus biblical story. So do does the history of these ancient countries also back up the biblical story? Uh, Yeah, actually, there's interesting ties uh, historically between the Old Testament stories, uh, particularly uh, at the time of Daniel, who was one of the prophets, uh, as well as Esther uh, and others. They they were uh, taken away in captivity uh, Mm -hmm. to the land of Babylon Yes. And uh, then later, Babylon was taken over by the expanding Persian Empire. Yeah. Um, but one thing that they had in common was that both the Zoroastrian Persians and the Jewish people uh, yes. believed in a single God. Uh, uh-huh. They were both monotheistic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was some similarity there. And uh, eventually, the leader of uh, the Persian Empire encouraged the Jewish people to return and to uh-huh. rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So, you know, although we talk a lot about the conflicts between religions, yeah. that was one place where there was a lot of cooperation between uh-huh. two different religions. Okay. So not only can we find these stories um, in the Bible, but they're also backed up by uh, historic transcripts, yeah? Uh-huh, yep. Okay, okay. I always wondered that. Um, I had a somewhat Christian uh, upbringing, so uh, this is all familiar to me, but I often wondered, I've never actually thought about the Bible being uh, backed up by other literature. And it just occurred to me then to ask you, since you're such a scholar of history. So the book was written um based on that wise men from the east and you've called it wise men of the west right because this is a time where we're kind of having the mirror image situation yeah. uh we we had of course you know the wise men of the east found jesus yeah. but yeah. before jesus left he left us some clues as to when he would return <laughs> and so here we are uh, 1800 years later yeah. uh those clues are beginning to fall into place. Uh, people are beginning to unravel some of the things uh, that, that Jesus alluded to. Yes. And um, now it's time for people of the West to head eastward to yes. search for the one that uh, Jesus had predicted. Okay. So in writing the book, who did you write it for? Who, who did you want to read and understand the wise men of the West? Well, this is especially written for people who uh, are interested in this question of the mm-hmm. return of Christ. 
Yes. Uh, yes. I know there are a lot of people for uh, a long time that have seen certain things in the world that uh, seem to indicate that we live in what the Bible calls the latter days. Yes. Uh, one of the strongest indications of this, of course, is that the uh, Jewish people have returned to the Holy Land. Uh, oh. And if you're familiar at all with the prophets of the Old Testament, and as yes. far back as Moses, mm-hmm. he speaks of a time when the Jewish people will be scattered to all nations. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> then he speaks of a later time when they will be regathered together. They'll be brought all uh, back together. Um, and Jesus himself talks about the time when the, when the time, he, referring to the Holy Land, there'll be the time of the Gentiles, when the yes. non-Jewish people yes. will uh, control the Holy Land. But yes. then he speaks of a time when the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. Yes. And thus, uh, Christians uh, expected that there would be a time when the Jewish people would return to the Holy Land. So after 1,800 years mm-hmm. of being scattered you know, to the four winds, mm-hmm. Jewish communities scattered in almost every country of the world, oh, yeah. um, they started to come together. Uh, and uh, miraculously, over the course, uh, since the early 1800s, uh, in fact, um, the movement just uh, gathered strength and, and snowballed, and uh, we have the modern state of Israel today. So this is one of the chief signs that that motivates people to realize that uh, we are indeed living in uh, the days that the Old Testament refers to as the latter days. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Sorry. there was, uh, in, the, in the 1830s, um, mm-hmm. we had here in this country a fellow by the name of Joseph Smith, uh, mm-hmm. who created the Church of the Latter-day Latter yes. Saints, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, he understood very clearly that uh, that was the time uh, of the latter days. So that's kind of uh, what's, I think, driving uh, interest. And so I'm writing the book for people who have an interest in that question and have perhaps begun to wonder um, why, you know, we have all this evidence, we have this expectation, uh, and yet it seems like nothing happens. <laughs> so, so we in this, in 2020, we are seeing the return of Jewish people to Israel? Of course, we've been seeing that, uh, you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, obviously, in 1947, uh, it, it came to the point where they were able to form their own state, uh, and they have consolidated and grown and developed quite a bit there. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, I had an opportunity to live there in yes. Haifa at the Baha'i World Center for seven years, and so I kind of got a chance to see that small country up front. And it is, uh, it's an amazingly small country, uh, and yet extremely significant. Everywhere you turn, it yeah. seems like there's something historic. Um, and yet the country is small enough that, uh, at least there in the north, there were places where you could go up on a mountain and you could uh, see the entire width of the country from a single view. You could see the Mediterranean, you could see the Golan Heights uh, from a single uh, standing point on a mountain. So. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a small country, but a very significant country. I just wanted to ask you a bit more about your time in, in the Holy Land. Um, I've always wanted to visit uh, Jerusalem, and I always 
had a feeling that when and if I ever got there, there would be a certain feeling about that place. Did you sense that? Did you sense the significant holiness of the land? Yes, um, it's it's definitely you know you can you can uh, feel the history because there's yes. just layer upon layer of history when you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> you know, you look at when you're at the Western Wall, you look at these foundational stones for the Temple Mount that were yes. uh, you know put there by uh, Herod centuries and centuries ago, and are I mean, it's just, still, are they still there? Yeah, the, the, the main temple was destroyed by the Romans, but the foundation stones, which are still visible, uh, are, are these massive blocks of stone, and uh, and yet they're still there. So it, it really speaks to you uh, of the history, um, and uh, there are just so many places uh, that, that practically everywhere you turn. Um, there were places when we were there, there were places you could go hiking in the fields, you'd come upon yes. some ruins that had been just uh, kind of roped off, but they just had not gotten uh, enough time for their Department of Antiquities to get around to uh, redeveloping the site, you might say. Uh, so it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating place, and if, if you get a chance, uh, you should definitely go. It's it's on my bucket list to go and have a look and just because I love history and architecture. I'm a I'm a lover of of architecture, so uh, that would be a key thing to go and see and just and very much when I'm in a place, I get a feeling or a sense of that place. Um, and so yeah, that's why it's on my list. And so you really enjoyed your time there, Jay. I certainly did. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And back to the book, it's a historical fiction. And how much uh, is it about history and how much of it is about fiction? Well, uh, a very large percentage of it is uh, historic. Uh, All of the places that they've visited uh, are actual places. Um, The storyline of two fictional characters, of course, um, you know, that that is, uh, is fiction, but it gives an opportunity to engage the reader in real events and real perspectives of various groups um, that were alive during the time that Mm -hmm. were speaking and that had these ideas. Um, I chose the genre of historic fiction because it enables people to kind of have a front row seat on history. Uh, For those who maybe aren't familiar with this genre, I, I cite the example of the movie, The Titanic, Yes. Uh, that was historic fiction. You remember the movie, probably yes. Rose yes. and Jack. Yeah. Rose and Jack were not real, real people, uh-huh. but their story enabled everyone to see historically, you know, what the circumstances are, what it was like to be there. Yeah. And, uh, so it gives you, you know, you could always write a history, a yes. nonfiction history. But that tends to be a little bit dry. <laughs> and, I was just going to say that it's it's a lovely concept to use history combined with fiction where you can tell a story like Rose and Jack mm-hmm. and you always remember that story and it's a good way to get that history into our thinking minds by way of story. I'm a great believer in storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so you take your two central feet. Uh, people on a journey why did you choose the 1840s in particular well 
this is a very special time. You know, this, uh, I always think of the 1840s as the beginning of the modern era. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 1844 was the invention of the telegraph, the first practical use of electricity. Uh Uh, So we can think really that the electrical age uh, was then. In 1844. And I mean, where would we be today without electricity? You can't, can't think of doing anything without electricity. Today. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. <laughs> but in, in addition to that, the, the following year, the first uh, steam propelled, uh, steam powered uh, ship was able to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, using, you know, it was a metal hulled ship. Yeah. So this was, so they stepped away from, from wind power, from wooden ships, and they came up with this idea. You know, they had steam-powered paddle wheel sh- uh, boats that could go on rivers, but they couldn't travel the ocean because the waves were, were would damage the paddle wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, but they came up with this idea of putting a propeller out the back in the, you know, under the water line, which is rather revolutionary. Yeah. And so the age of modern shipping began in 1845. Uh, so, in modern shipping, of course, is the foundation for the international economy. I mean, we would yes. not have an international economy today were it not for the ability to move large quantities across the oceans. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I see these two as revolutionary events that happened uh, almost the same time. But, of course, there were revolutions in thought in many fields yeah. during this time, mm-hmm. uh, not the least of which was religion. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, I, I think what was going on in uh, America was this expectation that Christ would return yes. in 1844. And the, you know, whereas the method of determining the year, yes. uh, I believe, was exactly correct, what was very unfortunate was that the question of the manner of his return uh-huh. is like totally misunderstood mm-hmm. because people were reading the biblical passages yes. in a literal way, uh-huh. expecting to see Christ come down from the Literally. literal heaven, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they weren't really, when you think about it, they didn't follow the example of the wise men of the East. You know, the yes. wise men of the East they came from Persia. They were expecting a messenger of God, mm-hmm. but they they weren't dissuaded when you know they came to Bethlehem. They found a child in a manger. He wasn't like in a castle. He wasn't he wasn't uh, in a palace or anything like that. And yet, I guess because they had spiritual eyes, yes. they were able to recognize that this was indeed the one who had been foretold. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So. We, you know, I so wish that we had had uh, real people in the 1840s who had that same perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've written this book about fictional characters that had that perspective mm-hmm. uh, to kind of explore what would have happened if yeah. we'd had some people with that perspective. What could they have discovered back yeah. then? And that's what your characters do. They explore geographically and spiritually, don't they? Exactly. Yep. They are, they are explorers yeah, in both respects. Uh, 
So then they, they take the reader on yeah. this journey. Yeah. And uh, as in most, as is the case in most journeys, you learn a lot as you go. Yeah. Just like in life. Yeah. And so they journey to find the promised one, don't they? Yes. They initially, they're inspired to uh, travel to the Holy Land. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that, of course, is where the wise men of the East travel to. Yes. Uh, and there they're looking for, primarily, they're looking for someone who was born with innate knowledge. This yes. seems to be one characteristic <clears throat> Certainly, a characteristic of Jesus. We know that yes. um, you know there's the stories that even as a child he had such wisdom that he could be teaching uh, the elders in the temple. Yes. Um, so this is one of the characteristics that they were looking for. Um, but as they get there, um, they find other clues, yeah. uh, and the other clues all point them to look further east. Uh huh. Uh, so, actually, my, my book is in two volumes. The first yeah. volume covers the travel to the Holy Land and the search through the Holy Land. Yeah. And the second volume is about their search further east. Yes. And you're not going to tell us what they find, are you? <laughs> That's why you have to read the book, people. Exactly. <laughs> Before we have a few more questions on the book, I just w- thought that uh, listeners might be interested about where you grew up and what your spiritual life was like growing up. So, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, I grew up in a suburb outside of Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, and I attended uh, Presbyterian Church regularly, uh, uh-huh. my parents and my three brothers. Uh, but even as a child, I always wondered why it was that God spoke to us through a series of great messengers. You know, in, in church, we learn the story of Noah and God yes. speaking to Noah. We learn the story of Abraham, mm-hmm. we learn the story of Moses. We learn the story of Jesus. And then it seemed like he, he stopped. stopped. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Why did he stop? Why have we been waiting 2,000 years yes. and there hasn't been anybody else? Yeah. So, Or has there? Well, so by the time I was in high school, I had realized enough about the religion of Islam to know that, yes, there might have been uh, something that uh, I had missed, that I had not yes. been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also came upon some people who believed that the world had... Uh, missed a more recent outpouring of divine wisdom. Uh Uh, That began in the land of the original wise men in Persia Mm -hmm. in the year 1844. Okay. Uh, At that time, I wasn't particularly familiar with the significance of it, but I began to learn about the widespread expectations that people in America had during that year. Yeah. Yeah. it extended not only through the northeastern part of the U.S., but also uh, many places in Europe. And that it had a name. It was called the Great Awakening. Uh-huh. As I mentioned, uh, in the same general time period, Joseph Smith uh, was uh, teaching that we were living in the latter days. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned in particular about a preacher by the name of William Miller. He mm-hmm. lived in upstate New York near the Vermont border, Um, and he was a self-taught preacher, Uh he was able to unlock 
the meanings of prophecies from the book of Daniel that uh -huh. Jesus, Jesus had referred specifically to a couple of prophecies from Daniel when the disciples asked him, when will he return? Uh -huh. Jesus pointed to those prophecies. And so William Miller really studied them and uh, figured out what they alluded to. Mm -hmm. And it was through a, a careful uh, study of those prophecies, which I go into in my book, yeah. that made him realize that they pointed to the year 1844. Right. And so if you, if you speak to people uh, of any of the Adventist churches, you probably uh, yeah. have, have heard of Seventh-day Adventists. This yeah. is a common one here. Yeah. Uh, also, the Jehovah's Witnesses descended yeah. from the Adventist group and several other of the Protestant denominations, the, the more modern Protestant denominations, mm -hmm. uh, all kind of trace their background to um, uh, William Miller and his teachings uh, in that time. And of course, you know, when it appeared that Christ, I mean, when it was clear that Christ did not come down from the sky in 1844, yeah. most of them went back to the Bibles and said, well, maybe we calculated it wrong, and they tried to make this adjustment and that adjustment, and there have been mm -hmm. several attempts uh, ever since that time to explain why it maybe is still coming in the future. It's something soon, you know, and you have various books. I'm sure you, you, yes. you've heard of some of the books about yeah. this, anticipating that Christ might come in the next couple of years or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but none of them seem to be willing to say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe the timing was right, but yeah. we were just looking the understanding wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, had a different understanding. Um, and so in this book, uh, getting back to the question about who it was written for, uh, is written for people who are willing to open up and consider uh, wider possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of led to your reason to decide to write on this particular topic, didn't it, Jay? Yeah, uh, it was kind of interesting. I had heard the story of William Miller, yes. and uh, one time when I was traveling uh, traveling back from Maine in uh, 2012, <clears throat> I decided that I would stop by and visit the William Miller farmhouse just out oh. of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, so I, I drove across uh, Vermont and uh, uh, went there, and the, the caretakers there were lovely folks, and they yeah. explained uh, the story to me, and it's just a fascinating story. Uh, about how he, not only how he discovered it, but, you know, he was a very humble man. Uh -huh. And he, he was not a self-promoter at all. Uh, in fact, after he had come to the conclusion that Christ would return in 1844, he said, okay, I'm, I maybe will mention this to a few people, but I'm not going to go out and, and preach about yeah. it. I'm not going to yeah. try and spread this idea unless God sends me somebody. And, uh -huh. you know, so he just, he went one day, he just said, okay, you know, until God sends me something, someone, I, I'm just not going to promote this. Yeah. And yeah. don't you know, within a few hours, a writer came up from a nearby town and explained to him that the preacher, I think was sick or had to go out of town or something like that. Yeah. And they needed a preacher 
to come and preach that Sunday at the church. <laughs> at uh -huh. the church. And William Miller wanted to say no, yeah. but he had just finished promising God that he would, you know, he would do something if someone called on him. Uh -huh. so he couldn't off walk he back went. on his promise. Yeah. <laughs> and off he went. And that started the whole thing. You know, people were so interested in what he had to say mm -hmm. that it, it snowballed from there. And within a few years, uh, he had like 100,000 people that were listening to him and expecting that Christ would return in 1844. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. uh, okay. So that's where it started. So that's where it started. So, so I went, I, I learned a lot about that history there, and I was very interested in it. <clears throat> Um, but I was also interested in the fact that um, the the caretakers there, and I think most Westerners, uh, didn't know other things that were going on in other places in the world at that time. Yeah. Uh, and particularly, there was um, a lot of expectation among the Jewish people who were beginning to gather in the Holy Land in those years. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was also a group in Persia who had oh. a great expectations. Okay. And so I was, I was a few months later, I was driving back from my childhood home in Michigan in a rental truck, moving some furnishings uh, back. Yeah. Um, and as I was driving, I was kind of mulling over this question. And I thought, you know, how could you connect what was going on in the Northeastern United States, what was going on in the Holy Land and what was going on in Persia and in 1840s. Me, it, all in 1844. How could yeah. you connect? It occurred to me, well, you could maybe write a novel of someone who would travel between yeah. these three different places. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed like an interesting idea, but a lot of interesting ideas, they flit into my mind and then they flit out. However, yeah. in this particular case, it was kind of interesting because just a minute or two after I started thinking of this thought... The truck I was driving, suddenly the, the wheels started lurching left and right. And oh my yeah. gosh, something's wrong with the truck. I pulled off to the side. I called the truck rental place. They sent a tow truck and brought me into the mechanic shop. And the mechanic, uh, after looking at the problem of the truck, he came out after a little while. And he said, well, I have good news and bad news. The uh, good news is we know what the problem is. We can fix it. Yeah. The bad news is that the part that you need cannot get here until tomorrow morning. Oh. So suddenly I had 24 hours with nothing to do. Uh -huh. All I had was a pad of paper and a pencil and this crazy idea in my head yeah. about writing, possibly writing a novel. Uh -huh. And so that was in 2013. And I have been, I have been working on this ever since. <laughs> That's well, you say that, Jay, but um, I talk to lots and lots of authors and that five-year time, that uh, five to ten-year time frame is fairly common for substantive works and, and, and your work is a substantial work. So I'm curious to know, in the Christmas story, there's three wise men. Why did you choose to only write about two wise men? <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. First of all, um, if uh, most of the Bible scholars will know that the yes. Christmas story does not actually say how many wise men there are. It does mention oh. that there were three gifts. You know, there was the yes. gold, yes. frankincense, and the myrrh. Yes. And yes. so 
in common thinking, most people have assumed that perhaps there were three uh, separate men providing three separate gifts. And uh, other storytellers have, have added names and added suggestions as to, you know, some of the details. But the Bible itself doesn't mention how many there were. Some accounts say that there were only two. Other accounts say there were as many as 12. Uh, oh. So, yeah, believe it or not. But uh, it does specifically mention the three groups of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I get exactly. it. Okay. Okay, so in my account, I have two Western travelers. They all are yeah. also accompanied by one local person in each oh, instance. Yeah. So in some sense, you have three. But I think perhaps more significantly, um, earlier in the narrative, the story explains that there are three questions. Uh, yeah. And the three wise men, in some sense, are the ones that can answer these three questions. Uh -huh. uh, so the first question is when, you know, when will the promised one appear? And that was uh, answered by the historic figure, William Miller. Uh -huh. uh, that one was fairly clear. Uh, the second question of how, um, that was uh, partly answered by a historic figure by the name of Professor George Bush, no relationship to the American <laughs> president later on, which just happened to have the same name. Um, but he was one who had gone back to the Bible and studied carefully the original Greek and the Hebrew uh -huh. and determined that the references to Jesus uh, rising up into the sky uh, were all references to a manner of understanding rather than something that someone physically saw. Ah, so when you have that understanding, then you begin to realize that the, the, there's certainly a possibility that the return of Christ would not be somebody who is descending from the sky, but appearing much as Christ appeared the first time. You know, Jesus himself said, I have come down from heaven, Yeah, you know, yeah. and yet everybody says, well, wait a minute, you were born, you know, there was Mary and Joseph, mm -hmm. but we know, you know, we agree that Christ spiritually, Christ came down from heaven. Christ's spirit came uh, to him from heaven. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion um, in, in current day circles about yes. uh, the exact meaning of uh, how he is to return. The third of the three questions is where would he yeah. return? And um, that, of course, is gradually resolved by the two characters of the book, uh, Zach and James, and then that makes up the uh, majority of the novel, figuring out where. Okay. So, so those three questions, uh, three or four or five wise men, depending on how you count, are uh, <laughs> answering those questions. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jay, I know that you um, think that many of the prophecies from the Bible have been misunderstood. What's an example of that for our listeners today? You know, the first one that comes to mind, and I do point this out early on in the book, yeah. um, is the uh, concept that when Christ returns, it will be the end of the world. Um, this concept um. actually springs from an unfortunate mistranslation that's found in the King James Bible. You know, right. King, King James uh, was one of the earliest uh, and, and most significant translations of the Bible yes. into English. Yes. 
And uh, <clears throat> in the original Greek, yeah. the word that you find, any place where there are phrases about the end of the world, if you go back to the original Greek, and you yeah. can do this with a, a thesaurus, mm -hmm. um, you can, uh, you find that the word that was used was eon, not yes. cosmos. So if you uh -huh. speak the end of an eon, most people understood, even in English, the Greek word eon is about the same as the English word. It means the end of an age. Yes, yes. Uh, if, it, if they said the end of the cosmos, that would mean the end of the physical world. But they never said the end of the cosmos. They said the end of the, an eon. The end of an eon, or the end of the age. And in fact, if you go to most uh, newer translations of the Bible, yeah. uh, most all of them have corrected that error. So uh -huh. if you if you look for end of the world uh, oh, no. in, in the newer translations, you generally won't find it. But uh -huh. somehow somehow this concept that Christ's return is uh, linked it, to the end the of the world has gotten into the public's mind. Yeah. And yeah. That, uh, you know, so so they just you know have this this uh, idea uh, that it's going to be the end of everything. Yes. Um, and that yes. doesn't, you know, I mean, clearly, you know, the world has not ended. But on the other yes, hand, very clearly, if, if you speak of the end of the age, yes. it's equally clear that the age has ended. We, we, I don't think I've met anybody who would uh, say that we live in the same age as Jesus. No, uh, correct. You know, mm -hmm. now in, in 1800, when you still had wooden sailing ships, when you yes. still had illumination by candlelight and, yes. and lanterns, uh, when you still had uh, 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 plowing of the field uh, drawn by animals, uh, you still were riding on donkeys or horses, you could, you could certainly make the claim that perhaps you were living in the same age yes. as Jesus. Um, but since then, all of that has changed. Yes. <laughs> And, You're correct, and so, Jay. Yeah, so we're That's living a really in really interesting in observation. Mm -hmm. And so, if Jesus, if the return of Christ was supposed to come at the end of the old age, you know, we clearly have passed that. Yes. So we have to ask, where is he? Yes. And so. That's partly what my book's about. <laughs> <laughs> you, your book describes where he is, but that's a that's a wonderful uh, take on the idea that that age ended in the eighteen forties, and we are in a new age. Yep. Um, I, I talk to lots of different people across many different. Uh, religions across all beliefs of spirituality and overridingly the conversation at the moment is about the essence of what's happening in 2020 and about that conversation of us ushering in um, a new age so um, I'm digressing a bit from your book but do you have any thoughts about that well Again, you know, the basis of the new age physically yeah. uh, is based on the fact that we've had these rapid uh, string of inventions Correct. in the fields of communication and transportation and lots of other fields, of course. But, but uh, most of all, it's the, uh, the ability to travel and the ability to communicate across, across the globe. The world. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, here we are. You're on the other side of the globe right now. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing. But uh, this is, again, something that's entirely different from the ages of the past. So I, you know, I personally believe that Jesus, when he, when he spoke to his disciples, he said, this is a message that is going to be good. You can, you'll have useful guidance yeah. until you reach the time you are able to travel easily to all different places in the world because you're going to be up against lots of different religions and different yeah. cultures, and you're going to need a wider message or encompassing message. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he said, you cannot put new wine into old skins because it was known uh, commonly in those days that the chemical reaction of the new wine would cause the old skins to burst. So you had to put new wine into new skins. And so you know, we've come to a new age. Um, it's, it has, uh, it's new wine, but we have to have new skins for it. And the discovery of those new skins is partly what my book is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay, I'm Jay. conscious that we are fast running out of time and I've got so much more to ask you, but uh, can you tell me, without giving away too much, um, do they find their uh, kingdom of heaven on earth? Well, uh, yeah, of course. The um, That's one of the things that... Um, people have looked forward to, especially the Christian community, yeah. uh, anticipates that if Christ returns, uh, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I can say from my own experience um, uh, that I feel like I live in the kingdom now yeah. because I live amongst the people that believe that every race Every class and nation, every religious background and every age should all live in harmony. Absolutely. They recognize that they are first and foremost children of one God and spiritual beings that have to be respected because yeah. they are cre creations of one God. Yeah. This is a kingdom in which gossip and backbiting are strictly forbidden. Yeah, yeah. It is a kingdom where you are enjoined to look upon everyone's good qualities and ignore their bad ones. It's a kingdom where the problems of drugs and alcohol, of sexual relationships outside of marriage, of yeah. gambling and political argumentation and a host of other things have been banished by obedience to a new set of laws. Uh, we refer to this as laws that have descended as the new Jerusalem. I think uh, many Christians will recognize that uh, term. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a kingdom where authority rests yeah. with an elected, a group of elected uh, people who uh, have banished the ego and its harmful effects. Yes. They yeah. use consultative decision-making process. And uh, because they, they are... Uh, Guided in groups, there is there's not uh, problems of leadership, uh, single person leadership. Yeah. 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 So um, 
that is, uh, you know, just a, a little description of some of the things that, that can be expected. Yeah. Now, Jay, I've just put up for the listeners a connection to where they can find your amazing book, uh, Wise Men of the West. And before we completely run out of time, I just want to ask you, uh, there's there's so many people suffering across the world and in particular after recent events, the coronavirus, do you have a special message for them today? Well, you know, I do think of the um, reference in the book of Revelation, you know, right at the very end of the book of Revelation, yeah. there is the story of the um, Garden of Paradise. Uh-huh. Uh, and in it, it talks about the tree of life. Uh, and the tree of life is given for the people. Uh, it has leaves for the healing of the nation. And I understand these leaves to be the teachings of a new age, uh, teachings that can provide uh, all sorts of remedies to the problems of our current age. Yeah, and there's lots, aren't there? There are lots. Jay, thank you so much for being on Radio Tony's Spotlight on the Authors today. Uh, It's been a fascinating conversation and one I've enjoyed immensely. I'm very appreciative of your time as it's uh, evening in the US and um, appreciative that you could come on the show today and tell us about your uh, amazing new book. Um, It's not absolutely new, but (laughs) it's it's newish. So Volume 1 and 2, The Wise Men of the West by Jay Tyson, available on Amazon. I've put the link up in the chat box for the listeners today. And just finally, Jay, Thank you so much for coming on the program today, for having um, such a fascinating conversation and answering my questions so wonderfully well. I really appreciate your time and I wish you all the best and most wonderful success with your new book, um, Wise Men of the West. And thank you for appearing on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it very much. Oh, thank you, Jay. So, listeners, that's our bit for the week. Thank you to Jay Tyson for coming on the show today. If you want more information on Janie's book, uh, it's in the chat box and also on our website, radiotony.com. Across all my social media, you'll find information on Jay and his book. And thank you, Jay. Please take care and thanks from us at Radio Tony. Bye for now, everyone. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony, with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony, Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mama.